Das ist Malarkey. Little um, pig, little pig, let me in. Yeah. Not for the hair on my chinny chin chin. Hey friends, welcome to Season 5, Episode 4 of the Press Quench Podcast. We're calling this season Historically Adjacent. We have gone through a lot of presidents, and now we're going through some really fun stories. Fun, inspiring, wacky, interesting throughout history. Some related to the USA, others related to random events that happened in history. And neither of us have heard the other two stories. And so without further ado, we are going to start kicking things off with producer Russ with story number one. What you got, Russ? My story tonight is about Pinto Kolvig. Pinto Kolvig. Pinto Kolvig. Okay. Kolvig was born Vance DeBar Kolvig in Jacksonville, Oregon. What? Oh, I thought you were going to go with Florida. But yeah, I know. Not. No, okay. it wasn't. Okay. He was one of seven children to William Mason Judge Kolvig. Okay. He wasn't a judge, but that was his nickname. And his wife, Birdseye Kolvig. Interesting. Was okay. she Native American? No, that was a nickname also. I think oh, okay. her, her real name was like Adelaide okay. or something, oh. but they called her Birdseye. So it was Judge and Birdseye. Judge and Birdseye. Yeah, okay. right. All right, cool. Vance DeBar Kolvig, at the age of seven, because he had too many freckles in his like goofy antics, he, because he had too many freckles. He had too many freckles. Okay. I don't know. What's too many? Like, he may have been like very freckled. 74. Yeah. <laughs> Like, highly freckled. That's a lot of freckles. That's a lot of freckles. He was nicknamed Pinto the Village Clown. (laughs) (laughs) Lovingly by his friends. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Pinto the Village Clown. Okay. Um, And he said, I didn't know when I was going to school whether I wanted to be a clown, draw cartoons, write, hobo, or be a musician. I might hobo. I think I'm I might. Not. There's a chance I'm going to hobo. I might go to hobo school. I yeah. might hobo. I didn't know that was a hobo. verb, but I guess it is a verb. Yeah. I might hobo. hobo. I might hobo. I might. I may. I may hobo. So he said, so I wrapped it all up and made a stew out of it. All right. Yeah. So a little bit clown, a little bit on the roads. Yeah. Writer, hobo. Jack Kerouac style. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Kerouac style. There's a lot of like good names in here, like Judge and Bird's Eye. Hobo. Hobo. Pinto, the village clown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he got a job as a cartoonist. He worked with Tac Knight. T-A-C-K. Tac. Okay. okay. Uh, at Animated Film Corporation, which was like the predecessor to Disney when it okay. comes to like cartoon feature films kind of stuff. This was before Disney got into the game. Okay. And that year, Colvig, or whatever we want to call him, Pinto, produced, oh, the Animated Film Corporation produced Colvig's film Creation, which was the first animated feature long cartoon. Wow. Ever. Oh, so that's before cool. Steamboat yeah. Willie. Or, yeah. or I guess it could have been after Steamboat Willie. No, Willy it was before. It was a- this oh, was okay. before Disney. Disney okay. kind of got their stuff from huh. this. You know, Animated Film Corporation, which sounds like a shadow government agency. In 1919, Pinto produced Pinto's Prisma Comedy Review. It was the first color cartoon ever. Wow. So he did the first black and white. He did the first cartoon feature film, which was black and white. And he also did the first color cartoon. It was the same guy. And then at the same time, he had a like a piece in the San Francisco Bulletin 
titled The Bulletin Boob. And it's where he would like mm-hmm. talk about like he'd editorialize, he'd draw some political cartoons. Yeah. But yeah, it was called the Bill the Bulletin Boob. What what era is this, Russ? This 1919. is nineteen nineteen. So okay. right yeah. before yeah. pre World like, War One. Yeah, yeah. Well Correct. World War One is post World War One. Yeah. Um right before like the Roaring Twenties. Roaring Twenties. Yeah. Well at this point Yeah, you're right. That's Not pre World right. War One, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, go on. Woodrow uh, Wilson. Yeah. So after uh, the Bolton boob, he became associated with Walter Lance, who, with whom he well, attempted no, to establish Coolidge. a cartoon studio. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, Coolidge. They created two characters. One was Bolivar, the talking ostrich, and Oswald, the lucky rabbit. Oswald. Okay. I feel like I've heard something. Okay, continue. So Oswald, and he voiced Oswald also. Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was supposed to be the predecessor to Mickey Mouse, and he was, I think he was the predecessor to Bugs Bunny as well. Okay. Interesting. So he was like the... Chuck Wilson was president around this time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was the the guy? Chuck Jones. Chuck Mel Jones, Blank. yeah. Chuck Jones. Yeah, Mel Blank. Chuck Mel yeah, Blank, yeah, yeah. dude. His biography is awesome. The autobiography. Yeah. Yep. I love Mel Blank. After he left the animated whatever corporation he signed an eight-year contract with disney as a writer and a vocal artist oh wow yeah and he like that episode of atlanta with the dude that made the goofy movie oh oh here's what's (laughs) funny about that give me this guy's name again his name is uh vance debar colvig or pinto colvig c-o-l-v-i-g okay right yeah so So, it it sounds like we're like real parallel to that episode of atlanta with kind of what's funny is uh he provided so he was a vocal artist too he provided the barks for pluto the pup so he was the original voice of pluto wow and he was the original voice for goofy who was originally called dippy dog (laughs) yuck yeah (laughs) Yeah, so he he was Pluto, he was Dippy Dog or whatever. Goofy, yeah. Goofy. And then he also voiced Practical Pig. Did Practical Pig become Porky Pig? No, he didn't. Okay. Practical Pig was the the most practical of the three little pigs. Oh. He was House of Bricks. House of Bricks, okay. House of Bricks. Interesting. Not hay or sticks. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Little um, pig, little pig, let me in. Yeah. Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. He also voiced two of the uh, dwarfs in Snow White. Hmm. Oh, okay. Can you guess which two dwarfs? Sleepy and Dopey. Mm, close. Which one's Doc and... I got one of them. I don't think Dopey talks, does he? Sleepy. I can't remember. Sleepy and Grumpy. Ah. Got one of them. He was sleepy and grumpy. 50%, baby. Good job. I'm a Hall of Fame baseball player. (laughs) (laughs) Then he had a falling out with Walt Disney, and he left Disney for... Why? um, Why did they have Was Was he a fan of the Jewish people? I don't... (laughs) Who is? Uh, We are, Russ. We are. Thank you. (laughs) And he was hired away to... I don't know what the, the... I assume it was... Probably around Jews. I don't know. Yeah. That's probably why he got angry with them. Mm-hmm. And then he was hired away to create a competing feature-length animated film for another company. Oh. And that's where he got Gulliver's Travels. Okay. Oh, what? Yeah. That's a dope uh, animated film. By yeah. Wait, he made Gulliver's Travels? He made Gulliver's that's Travels. Sick. I don't know okay. what that's version. Cool. The 
first version. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while he was there at this other company creating Gulliver's Travels, during his downtime, they needed him to do... Uh, vote, he, you know, more voice acting. Yeah. And he became the voice of Bluto in the Popeye cartoons. Okay. Oh, I have Dude, Bluto's I tattoo yeah. on my thigh. That's cool. So the tattoo on my thigh of the, like, battleship thing yeah. is the tattoo Bluto has on his chest. Well, That's there wild. you go. Yeah. Pinto Colvig. I need to know about this guy. Yeah. The, the voice actor in me that wants to do animated know. characters needs to study up on this guy. Yeah. And, yeah. and after he left Disney, Goofy was like voiceless for a few years. Huh. Like until they found somebody that could imitate the voice. They that found he did. Rage Against the Machine, the voice <laughs> of the voiceless. <laughs> Zach um, De La Roca. Yeah. Who was two years old at this time. Okay. Go on. After Blue Dog. No, it wasn't. No. <laughs> His grandma was His two years old. So after Bluto, he Blaine's just cracking open another uh, uh-huh. another light. Yeah, sure am. American made beer. In 1939, he voiced a Munchkin in the Wizard of Oz film. Oh, yeah. Wow. And then lollipop guild, lollipop guild. They were so angry. They, they were had, angry. They had very clenched jaws. Why do you think they gave them that direction? Like to be so angry. Like they should have been know if happy. They did. But they I really... think that was just how they were treated. Because they were by hammered. The, yeah. By the Wicked Witch? Yeah. 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 And then they hung that lady in the background. And, oh, yeah. 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 That's that urban legend. Yeah. Right? Three men and a baby. What? Wasn't there a ghost that, in three men and a baby? That's what the urban legend was, but it was a prank by the crew on, who is the, uh, Ted Danson. Yeah. They found a, uh, like a, like cutout. a Davy Crockett hat. No, it. it was like a picture of Ted Danson, like as a younger actor. Oh, was it? As like a teen actor, and they did a cardboard cutout and put it in the in between the windows, in the, in between the curtains. Yeah. I remember having prank. the VHS tape of Three Men and a Baby, and like pausing, it. pausing it oh, yeah. there, and you could see. I do too. It's it freaking. looked like a boy. Like and, it looked like, and the whole legend was like the parents of that boy raised him in that apartment that yeah. the film was being shot in. He had yeah. jumped out the window. Yeah. What? And this like his ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Look like, and not you can now, see but, it. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, it's plain as day. I look, didn't know that. Yeah. It's when the camera's panning, you see in the background, totally a young boy standing between the curtains and they're okay. like, that's a ghost. But really it's a prank that the I crew mean, pulled. I think. How did we even find that out before the internet? Like how did that was that just is like, kind of cool? Like the the urban the spread of urban legends pre internet. Yeah, how That's did cool. that happen? And yeah, it was accurate. Like yeah, I I remember watching that with my aunt, and she's like, "Oh, there's there's a spooky part of this scene." Yeah. And my sister and I were like, <gasps> "Yeah." Anyway. You know what? I like that movie. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, Steve Gutenberg. Seen it. Steve Gutenberg, Tom Selleck, and uh, Ted Danson. Ted Danson. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was good. They're like real like. Uh, spinsters, guys on the town. You oh, know, one's an yeah. architect. That's about Ted Danson's an actor, and yeah. he's like a baby. Yeah. But then there's drugs and there's bad people. Oh yeah, that's not yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. And Can then you... there was another movie, uh, Three Men and a Little Lady. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, there was, was Three sequel. Men and a Little Lady. Instead of calling it Two, she grows up to be a little lady. All, All right, Russ, continue. Like, look who's talking to. All right, back All right. to Pinto. All right, we'll talking to now. Pinto Colvig. After he voiced the Munchkin, he kind of retired from animation and voice acting. Okay. And he became Bozo the Clown. No wow. way. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. With right? the grand wow. yeah. prize game. Well, this is 1946 Bozo. 
but it was okay. uh, so not the one we grew up with. Well, eventually that became that bozo. So the okay. way it worked is in 1946, Colvig was cast as Bozo the Clown for Capitol Records, a role which he played for decades. But what the way, and I looked this up too because yeah. the Bozo shows, yeah, great, right? WGN. Can I say something? The reason we're all Cubs fans. Can we get real for a moment? Go yes. ahead. I like clowns. Is that bad? I, I don't yeah, think it's, it I don't is think bad. It's like, no, I think it's bad. Why? I know people who are definitely a clown. You're not a clown. <laughs> but clowns are amusing. Like, their whole point is to, like, yeah. I like clowns. And I don't know why they've gotten, I mean, just because of Gacy? Is that the reason I they guess. have a bad There's a clown. It, there was a clown school that I would occasionally pass on Old State Road 37, south of Martinsville, north of Bloomington. And it was like right off the road, and yeah. it w- it looked like a clown school. I bet it was delightful. Yeah, I'm sure they had a great time. Yeah, and I bet it was fun to watch and to attend. I think you've had a clown related story in like a bonus episode or something. I probably think. okay. Yeah. So this guy became Bozo. Yeah, he became Bozo the clown, and then while he was Bozo the clown, he recorded Filbert the Frog, which was like a okay. chart topping song. The WGN Frog. Like the <laughs> oh, uh, hello, my baby. Hello, yeah. my honey. Uh, More, um, um, are we talking a, about the same frog? Yeah, yeah. J something, something J J frog, something yeah. J frog, Milton J frog. Anyway, Michigan uh, J frog. Michigan J frog. Michigan J frog. Yeah. Uh, here's my question. It says Calvin Colvig, whatever. Colvig also recorded the Filbert the Frog song, which featured Colvig's virtuoso use of the glottal stop as a okay. musical instrument. Yeah, what is that? So a glottal, um, it's canal. like a, can you, can you it's do a it? canal. It comes from your glottal epi- canal. It comes from your epiglottis, which is the little part of your trachea that covers yeah. your windpipe when you swallow the flap. Yeah, it goes down. A glottal is like a. Can you do it? I'm just trying to put. You know, let me uh, let me look up. Just hold on. Go ahead. Keep going. So I'll keep talking while he's looking that up because. The way Bozo the Clown worked was there was the original Bozo, and then some guy bought it and franchised it out to all the local affiliates. So all these local affiliates, like WGN, would have their own Bozo the Clown and Bozo the Clown show. But when WGN became like this super network, see nationwide, that's when that became the Bozo the Clown. That was the one that we all know with the grand prize game. Yeah. Which I went back... And YouTube some grand prize games from like the eighties and nineties Bozo yep. show. It was great. It was just like oh, I remembered. A bit. Yeah. 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 A random child from the Bozo Pewter where they choose a random number. Yeah. But the backlog of tickets to get on the Bozo show up until the end, which was like in the nineties, was seven to ten years. What? Wow. Yeah. To get into the audience of the Bozo show, it was going to take seven to ten years. That's a long time. And it was way that way for decades. That's crazy. That is yeah. You're talking about like somebody from like first grade to high school. Yeah. Like they were parents, you know. Um, a glottal stop, best way that I have found to help you understand what it is, is like when a uh a cockney person would say a bottle of water. It's like the vocal cords that go uh uh oh like that. Sound, which makes sense if he's doing a. You said he was doing a frog. Yeah, Filbert the frog. Yeah, he's probably doing that kind of stuff. I like that you. Yeah, it's basically your vocal cords vibrating, but there's no like those monks that do the. 
that is known as throat singing, and it's the guys who uh, it's like the Mongolian guys, I think, or something. No, like, like the you mean New like Zealand, chant the Aboriginal guys? Yeah, you were thinking Aboriginal, but you were thinking monks. Anyway. I think it's two different things. Yeah. Okay. A glottal stop is when you literally force your vocal cords to just vibrate, uh, and then you cut it off. Mm. Ba uh. It's that kind of sound. Anyway. Isn't it? Pinto Colvig. ah. Okay. Pinto Colvig. That's cool. Yeah. I'm going to look up Michigan J. Frog now. Yeah. I want to learn about this guy. And he was the original. That's insane. Yeah. Okay. The voice of Goofy. I mean, Bluto, Goofy. Like, he did all of it. Which makes me know, I think. Color cartoon. The the first cartoon feature film. Game. From Jacksonville, Oregon. Yeah. Jacksonville, Oregon. Pinto the Village Clown. That's crazy, man. (laughs) Yeah, so if you like Pixar movies, you've got him to thank. Yeah, yeah. or any animated yeah, movie. Any, any animated yeah. movie. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I need. I really need to study that guy. Yeah. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Facing the transition out of the military is rarely easy. It doesn't help that the staggering number of options you're faced with can be overwhelming. But there's a light at the end of that tunnel for all veterans. And that light shines brightest here in Indiana. Lucrative careers in fast-growing industries are plentiful. Housing costs are amongst the lowest in the nation. And you can live in the country while being less than an hour from a world-class city. At InVets, we're showing veterans how to translate the valuable skills they've learned to the civilian world while connecting them with careers they can be proud of so they can lead fulfilling, purposeful lives. Go to InVets, that's I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Create a profile to learn more about Indiana communities, browse the current open job openings in these communities, and receive your free shirt. That's InVets, I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Hey, welcome back. Now we are ready for story number two in this episode. Blaine, go for it. So Clifford Ray was born January 21st, 1949 in Union, South Carolina. Okay. He went to Sims High School in Union, and he was a great basketball player. He was also six foot nine, 230 pounds. He's a big boy. Yeah. 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 I didn't even know they made six foot nine back. When was this? 1949 was when he was born, so we're talking about like late 1950s. Well, yeah. no, the tall early baby. 1960s. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. tall was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Uh, seven foot one. All right. So Clifford went to Oklahoma on a basketball scholarship and graduated with a Bachelor of Fine Arts. He can play most of the woodwind instruments. Hmm. What? Okay. Name them. Clarinet, saxophone. Yeah. Oboe, bassoon. He can play most of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not a flip. He was drafted by the Chicago Bulls in 1971 in the third round of the NBA draft as the 40th overall pick, but he was named to the 1972-1973 all-rookie team, so it's safe to say he had a successful start to his career. Okay. Yeah. yeah. How could he be that tall and be the 40th? I well, feel like, was there other six foot nine At the time, like... You just wanted big guys. Yeah. Right. Right. So yeah. like the big, like there were probably a bunch of them. Right? You could yeah. throw underhand. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> right. funny you should say that. Uh-huh. Because before the 1974 season, Clifford was traded to the Golden State Warriors. Okay. For Nate Thurmond and $100,000. Thurmond? Uh, like Strom Thurmond? Nate Thurmond. Nate okay. Thurmond's like, he's a Hall of Fame player. Like okay. he was traded from the Warriors to the Bulls for... Clifford Ray, because Clifford was younger, 
and more athletic and things like that. Okay. So alongside Hall of Famer Rick Barry, who okay. shot free throws underhanded, uh-huh. they beat the Bulls in the Western Conference Championship. And then they went on to win the NBA title okay. Ooh, later that face. year. Yeah. yeah. Take that. Take that, Strom Thurmond. So Clifford in the, like, let's take a step back. Clifford was in a small group of players throughout his career that played more than 10 seasons and had more rebounds than points. Wow. Interesting. And huh. that's a, like a very small select group, yeah. group of players. Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Um, sure. Who was the guy from the Pistons? Ben. Uh, Kingsley. No, the guy with the big afro. Johnson? Ben. Oh. Ben. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. He was a janitor. He was the guy in the uh, in the. Was he involved in the the, the brawl? Yes, he would have been oh, Ben yeah. Wallace. Yeah, Ben Wallace. There's oh ben yeah, Wallace. Ben, Wallace. ben Wallace. Yeah, that Ben Wallace is also in that select group of players that has played more than ten years and has more rebounds than points cool. per game. It's a monster in the paint. So in 1978, at the Marine World slash Africa USA amusement park in Redwood City, California. A bottlenose dolphin named Mr. Spock <laughs> swallows a bolt with a protruding sharp screw that was left accidentally during maintenance. Okay. So there's okay. maintenance going on. There's this. Mr. Bolt. Spock swallows a bolt. Mr. Bolt. Uh, yeah. Mr. Spock yeah. swallows a bolt. The little dolphin. Poor guy. The park veterinarian wasn't willing to perform the operation. Because oh. the bolt was in the dolphin's first stomach. Okay. I didn't know dolphins had numerous stomachs, but okay. Can you just refuse to like, like that's your job. Yeah. But like cutting into him yeah. to go into the first stomach was too dangerous. Okay. So the only way you could do this by sticking your Reach hand in. down. Oh. And get and it out. Getting it out. But you need to have a long arm. <gasps> he said, I'd be able to do it if I just had longer arms. I Marine World's the, president. I haven't. I have what was the full name of this park again? Marine World slash African USA Amusement Park. <laughs> All right. It's wild. Marine World's president, Mike Demetrius, was a huge basketball fan. Oh, here we go. Yes. Specifically, a Golden State Warriors fan. <laughs> and one of his favorite players <laughs> was known for his unusually large wingspan. <laughs> <laughs> Clifford Ray's arms were three foot nine inches each. Whoa. Yeah, that's that's so, long. That's like my entire wingspan. Right. The normal wingspan of a human being is the distance between fingertip to fingertip uh-huh. is your height. All of us look like Jesus oh. right now, by the <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, we do. We all look like Jesus. <laughs> but like the thing about like people like Giannis and Tsuchikimpo. Yes. And like those dudes have... Huge wingspans that are larger than their height. Oh, Clifford Ray was the first of these people. Like he had this huge to have wingspan, a lo- longer wingspan than height. Yeah, right. Okay. So each of his arms was three foot nine inches. Wow. How long was the dolphin? So the park asked Clifford, "Would he be willing to do this?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure." Yeah. And with the help of gloves, some lubricant. And a guiding eye, uh-huh. Clifford was able to reach his arm through the dolphin's throat into wow. the first stomach. So it looked like the dolphin was trying to eat his yeah. uh, arm. To remove the bolt 
with the protruding screw. Wow. And saved the dolphin's life. The dolphin. And he became a hero. Yeah. Yeah. Like to the the dolphin community. Yeah. Yeah. The basketball player became a hero to the dolphin community. (laughs) And that dolphin had no gag reflex at all. (laughs) Clifford went on to a coaching career. Okay. His very first head coaching job. The Miami Dolphins. Was with the Fort Wayne Fury. Okay. Little Indiana reference there. Love that. You know what coach he replaced at Fort Wayne? Bobby Knight. No, it was. No, No, you idiot. Did you say John Wayne? John Wooden? Don't be an idiot. The coach he replaced was his former teammate, Rick Barry. Oh, Oh. underhand uh, free throw guy. In the now defunct CBA. Cool. He went on to uh, coach the Boston Celtics, or he was an assistant coach for the Boston Celtics when they won a title in 2008. So he has a title as a coach and a player. Wow. He was an assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors for a while. Yeah. And he's now like a consultant for the Houston Rockets. He's still alive. He's still a consultant wow. for the Rockets. Wow. And a marine biologist. Yeah. Yeah. And he's that most is... famous for sticking his arm down a dolphin's throat. And a, wow. an honorary dolphin. Just I mean, because like, he has long ass arms. That's I, I, wild. They had to. I mean, dolphins everywhere have to know his name. Yeah. Oh, like sure. Within yeah, the yeah. dolphin community, he is. And they're a, communicating a, with the orcas who are taking down yachts. Dude, orcas Not are. That. that that whole story of them attacking boats is wild. It's going to happen one day. They're yeah. just going to. I don't know how animals just haven't turned on us already. Yeah. That's so, crazy. Yeah, it is. it is crazy. So I have a basketball adjacent story to go with that. Ooh, I, like that. I wanted it to be its own story. I yeah. couldn't figure out exactly how. So do you know. Who the very first white family was to adopt a African American child? Yeah, Sandra Bullock. Nope. Oh, in Indiana. Sorry, oh. in Indiana. The very first white family in Indiana to adopt an African American. child. We well, said it was basketball adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby Knight. You're not going to get it. It's Bobby Knight. Mm-hmm. No, it's Jim Jones. Whoa. Whoa. Kool-Aid Jim Jones? Yep. Wow. Wow. Yikes. Yikes. Wait. Okay. Yikes. His adopted son, Jim Jones Jr., was a part of the Colts basketball team. The The Colts basketball team. The Colts? The Colts. The Colts. Colts. It sounded like you said Colts. Like people, whatever. Whatever it was called. They had Uh, a basketball team? They had a basketball team. Triple J. Wasn't it called Jonestown, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they were in Guyana. Yes. They had moved from Indiana to San Francisco to Guyana. Yeah. And the basketball team was in the headquarter or whatever, the capital of Guyana, Georgetown. Uh-huh. Wow. And they were there on a, like a PR mission to like spread the word of Jonestown yeah. and stuff like that. Wow. And they were playing the national team of Guyana. Okay. Jim Jones Jr., yes. the adopted son of Triple Jim J. Jones. Was on that team. The day they played Guyana, they lost by like 30 points. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is all from memory. So Can I, I, ask I have question? no note. Can yeah. I ask a question first? Did they have a mascot? I don't think so. What if it was the Kool-Aid man? That'd be fun, right? So, Oh, no. <laughs> just wait. That hasn't happened yet. Oh. So he's in Georgetown on a PR mission. Like the whole thing was like, no, spread the word. Like they're big Marxists. They were big communists, yeah, sure. like, stuff like that. Spread the word about how we're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. Well, the day of the basketball game against Guyana, this congressman comes oh, yeah. to South America yeah, I heard about this. to like 
yeah. observe things. It was almost and, Dan Quayle. And he comes, yeah, it was almost Dan Quayle. He comes and he's like, hey, if anybody wants to leave, you can leave with me. Bad a few idea. people leave with him on their way out. They're at the landing strip to get out. And the Jones colony assassinates them. Wow. Yeah. Killed them all. Jim Jones Jr. The adopted black son of the cult. playing leader. in a basketball game. Yeah. Against the Guyanese national team. Okay. While this happens, he gets a ham radio call from his dad after the game. That is like, I don't remember the exact words, but he yep. said the code. And the code was, oh, we're yeah. all about to commit suicide. Oh, oh. You need to do it. And he was like, whatever you have to do, whether it's piano string or a gun or whatever, if you don't have poison, you need to do it. And he starts telling his dad, no, you don't need to do this. I know you just killed a congressman. You don't have to do this. Wow. And his dad's like, wheels have already been set in motion. So he goes to the embassy. Whoa. And he's like, hey, you need to get people out there now. Yeah. You need to stop this from happening. And the embassy... They've already killed a congressman, so the embassy just arrests him. Okay. And he's like, no, I'm trying to stop it. I'm trying to stop whatever is happening from happening. Yeah. 900 people die. Jeez. Jeez. And he is still alive to this day. His son played basketball at the University of San Diego because he had an entire life after this. Jim Jones Jr.'s son. No, no Jim Jones, Jim Jones Jr. Jr. is still alive. And yeah. his son played basketball in college. At the University of San Diego. Jeez. Triple. So, like, he really struggled with this. Like, and wow. I, I, I wasn't sure, like, how to tell this story in this. And yeah, that's why sure. I wanted to do it, like, as a opposite side note. Yeah. But, like, he struggled with it for his whole life. Like, became an alcoholic. Yeah. Never really knew how to come to reconciliation with this. Go back to regular life. Of the people that died at the convent, only, like, 13 people survived. Yeah. The 13 people that survived were members of the basketball team. Oh, my God. They were playing in a basketball tournament in Georgetown. (sighs) That's wild, man. That That's wild. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean. And that dude's still alive. Like, his son was, he was a member of the University of San Diego basketball team in 2007. So, he's roughly my age. Like, he's probably... Three, four years younger than me. God, that's... Mm. Wow. Jim and Jones' old, dad like, was part of the KKK in Indiana. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 But, like, what's crazy about it is, like, you have Jones as a last name. You can run from it. But if your name is Jim Jones... Junior. Then yeah. people go, yeah. oh, you must be the Jim Jones. Like, yeah. Yeah. you drink the Kool-Aid. And yeah. he struggled with that most of his life because he was like, no, I didn't drink the Kool-Aid. Like, mm. I am that Jim Jones. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that's just like a common phrase. I mentioned Drink people oh, yeah. say that all yeah. the time, and he's just, they don't know who he is. Yeah. Nor do they, I mean, no. Yeah. yeah. And the original Jim Jones is a Butler grad. Ah. I, yeah. He also went to IU. Yeah, he went to Butler and IU. Yeah. Dude. Like, that, that cult started in Indiana. Yeah. Moved to San Francisco, and when they started getting heat, yeah. They moved to South America. Yeah, you can see his church still in Indy. His first ever church is still standing yeah. in Indy. Oh, man. I kind of want to learn more about that guy. Not like, I'm just fascinated with the story of like how someone from tiny little town in Indiana became cult leader in South America. Yeah. 
Well, he rode the wave of fundamentalists at the yeah. time. He was doing like the um, uh, what do you call it when you like heal somebody? Like a faith healer. Faith yeah. healer. Yeah, he mm-hmm. was doing that, but he yeah. had like chicken giblets. Yeah, and he oh. was like, "Oh, I'll remove a tumor," and he had a chicken giblet in his hand. Okay, so people like, like revivals because they Would thought, go yeah, because they thought that like okay. he was his son just thought that this was like a peaceful whatever movement. Yeah. Yeah. Until like the moment he was at a basketball game Jeez. and his dad said the secret words. Wow. And and he knew those secret wow. words meant everybody's going to commit suicide. So he ran to the embassy to be like, So hey, he wasn't completely caught off guard. Because, he wasn't like, completely if you caught have... off guard, but he tried to stop it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of wow. course. And the embassy just arrested him. Wow. And he was just in a Guyana jail. Like getting interrogated, like all this other stuff. And then he had to live with that for the rest of his life. Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, I'm reading this, you know, granted it's, it's his Wikipedia page, but by the end of 1961, this says Indy was a far more racially integrated city than before. And Jim Jones was almost entirely responsible. Like he was an, he was anti-segregationist or integrationist. So So that was one of the reasons why he was the very first, like, white person to adopt a black kid was yeah. because he was trying to show racial unity which is i mean if you think about it that's a middle finger to your own father if he's part of the kkk yeah yeah oh yeah you know well and like i, I don't know you know what like, you really turned me around on jim jones here well like, like and jim guy. jones always said he had a rainbow family because if yeah. you looked at yeah, all of his right. adopted kids yep they were of like multiple different races and like one of yeah. the reasons they wanted to be the family that adopted the first black kid was to show racial unity. Their first child was part Native American. Uh, he and his wife adopted three Korean American children. Gosh, this is crazy, dude. I didn't know a thing about this. Yeah. But wow. also like completely psychopath. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a crazy story. I need to learn more about this guy. Yeah. Great story. Yeah. That is fascinating. Dolphins. Yeah. Let's not uh, forget about Cl- Clifford Ray sticking right. his hand down the mouth of a dolphin. Into his first stomach. How did we get again from Clifford Ray to Jim Jones? Well, they're basketball Basketball There you go. Okay, cool. All right. Well, on that note, great story. Yeah. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. This is Blaine. Veteran suicide is a huge issue within the veteran community. Through different experiences, too many of our brothers and sisters have gone down this road, and the team at Vets Lives Matter is working to combat this issue. Vets Lives Matter is a cohort of veteran and civilians working on a mission to enhance veterans' lives. By teaming up with local veteran nonprofits across the country through a combination of physical challenges and fundraising efforts, we will end veteran suicide. Be sure to follow on all social media platforms at Vets Lives Matter to learn how to donate and participate in challenges in your community. Together, we will beat this. All right, welcome back. My turn. Uh, we're glad you're listening. What a crazy batch of stories so far. Yeah. Very, very cool. All right. Have you guys heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? No. All right. Das ist Dietrich Malarkey. Bonhoeffer uh, was essentially a hero. Well, let me just go back. Okay. So he was born in like early 1900s in Germany into a pretty privileged family. I think his dad was a neuroscientist and psychiatrist who actually was anti-Freudian when that was all coming out. He was yeah. like, this is a bunch of malarkey. Das ist malarkey. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> his mom, I think, was uh, 
had something to do with like she came from like a family of artists like that were very elite. So this is pre this is when I guess the German monarchy or lack of what a better year. Term. So he was born in 1906. Okay. Oh, okay. So early 1900s. This is pre- not a great year to be in Poland. Well, this was still when <laughs> never true. a great year. Never a great year to be. Yeah. This is pre World War One, pre fall. His childhood was pre fall of the German bourgeois aristocracy, aristocracy yeah. pre rise of Hitler. Yeah. So that's when he grew up in Germany. At a young age, told his he came from a big family. First of all, his older brothers were like scientists, doctors, just very well-to-do family, and he was yeah. like, "I really want to be a theologian." Oh, and okay. his brothers were like, "That's pick something else." Yeah, but I think at like the age of maybe eleven, he took Hebrew as an elective in school, and just, I took Hebrew as an elective in school. Yeah, you did. Yeah, it was a real like, it was a, it was an easy. You were like, I already know. Yeah, it's like (laughs) Hispanic people taking Spanish. So here is this guy coming from lawyers, artists, you know, scientists, neuroscientists. He's like, I want to be a theologian. And so he goes off to university and he gets his doctorate of theology at age 21 uh, at the University of Berlin. So he's very bright, graduates summa cum laude. Right after college, early 20s of his age, not year, he goes to America where he's trying to t- um, get a fellowship at Union Theological Seminary in okay. heart of New York City. Okay. Union. So Union Theological Seminary, still uh, a very well-known liberal seminary in, in uh, New York. Very much like Clifford Ray. And he shows up and he's totally unimpressed with the way that these American theology students are talking about theology. Okay. Um, also, he's way ahead of them intellectually, but he befriends uh, a black fellow seminarian who his name is Frank Fisher. And Frank says, hey, Dietrich, let's go check out what is called, I think, the Abyssinian Baptist Church. Uh, What's it is, that? It's a historically, I don't know what the Abyssinia aspect of it Wait, is. Wait, is it Ethiopian? Uh Abyssinia it probably is has its root from there, I think, but it is a historically prominent black. How do you know that? I don't know. <laughs> no, do you know there's there's black Jews also, and they're mostly from Ethiopia. Yeah, okay. dude, and that Ethiopian story of Jews. like the whole Ark of the Covenant, Ethiopia, yeah. Aksum, all old that. school. Wild. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, there's there's a very prominent black church in Harlem that his fellow seminarian Frank Fisher takes him to. And it's like his world just opens up. He hears spiritual singing. He hears or he sees preaching that he's never seen before in a style that he's just like, it's, it's like meeting an alien. You're like, what is, what am I experiencing? Well, I imagine coming from, coming from Germany. Yep. I imagine they were much more reserved. It's Lutheran services. Yeah. It's, it's very high church. And, but he comes over here and he sees this just. Powerful preaching. Yeah. He also sees when he's over in America, the social injustice of just racial discrimination. Mm-hmm. You know, this is probably 1920s ish. Yeah. yeah. Um, not great. Not great. And so he is having his world completely changed as far as his view of theology goes. Then he goes back to Germany in 1931 and uh, again. A- Great time. To Correct. Do that. Yeah. So he goes back in. He becomes a lecturer at the University of Berlin. So he's kind of following in his family's footsteps, even though like his path of career yeah. is different than his family. He's still pretty well to do, well known. He's in a position of influence and privilege. 
And so he becomes ordained. He's at the age of 25. This dude isn't even 30, and he's Whoa. already lived a, a huge lifetime. So Nazis come to power late January of 33. Within two days of Hitler becoming chancellor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes on the radio waves and condemns Hitler. Whoa. Oh. Halfway through the speech, the Nazis cut the speech short. Okay? So now he is becoming... He's got a target on his back. Yeah, but I'd say so. Very quickly, he's like, yo, I know we're all hype about this Fuhrer guy. Well, he's actually got a lot of opportunity to mislead the German people, especially the German church, which he was very prescient in what happened where the German Lutheran powers that were within the organized church in Germany essentially let Nazism come into the church hmm. where it was like, yeah, Jesus is great. But the Fuhrer is the head of the church. Yeah, sure. Okay. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer very quickly was resisting Hitler. Before before the final solution came to be, he was already anti-Hitler. Okay? Mm, yeah. Part of it was informed by what he saw with the racial discrimination. So once Hitler starts talking about, you know, the Jews are the root of the problem in Germany, he's like, wait a second, wait a second. This this is a similar um, message, different yeah. population but I've yes. seen the bad things that can happen before over in America when I was there. So anyway, Ugh. Hitler basically un unconstitutionally imposes new church elections. He says no one of Jewish heritage can hold any post in like even if you're like married to a Jew, whatever it is, it's like you can't be part of the church. So there's this huge schism where now you've got literally thousands of, of German priests who mm -hmm. are like, we're down with it. We'll, we'll wear the swastika. Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others, another guy named Karl Barth, they basically form what's called the Confessing Church, okay? So he says, we are against what is happening, Oof. and we're going to take a stand. And essentially what he does is he becomes a proponent for not just social justice, but faith in action. He's like, we, we get that you intellectually assent that your doctrinal Christian belief here, but without uh -huh. putting it into action, it's dead. And we're on the cusp of this guy becoming a absolute yeah. tyrant. And the church is the only vehicle that can stand in the way of what he's doing. How is this guy we still alive? We could use that in 2020. Correct. 2016. Well, there's, there's a lot of – now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but like yeah. – MLK and what happened in the 60s with the civil rights movement, like directly inspired by Bonhoeffer there is and what he's doing. Parallels all throughout time. 100%. It's like, it's, 100%. It just happens yep. over and over and over again. So Bonhoeffer, because of all these new things that are going on in the church, he essentially has to go underground. Yeah. Okay? But the um, fact that he was still alive after yeah. that mm -hmm. first radio that first broadcast. Thing, yeah. Dude, uh, in November of 33, there is a, uh, from within the church, there's a demand that the Old Testament gets taken out of the Bible. What? what? How? Yeah. In Germany, okay? Bonhoeffer and a small group of pastors who, quote-unquote, get it, are obviously completely against this. They have to go underground. He gets offered a parish post position in Berlin in 1933, and he refuses it to go to London instead. Yes, Russ. Okay. You have your hand up. How do you take the Old Testament out of the Bible? You are don't. you... Are you like ripping the pages out or so, are you just creating new Bibles and then burning the old ones? Uh, good question. I don't know. I don't know if you physically remove it or if you print new ones without it. I don't know. Gutenberg. I bet Gutenberg. Or, yeah. or you just don't allow the priests to preach 
from there because it is non-Aryan. Got it. Essentially. Oh, sharpies. And okay. So he redacted. gets... He goes over to London. <laughs> and then Abraham redacted. Redacted, redacted. Yes. Redacted. Redacted. His son redacted. Redacted. He goes to London for a while. Actually, Gandhi invites him to study nonviolent resistance at his ashram in 1935. But Bonhoeffer decides, I'm going to stay in Germany. My work is here. I need to subvert what is happening. It's like as, underground. As, it's literally an underground seminary. It was called Finkenwald um, for training up pastors who would be anti-Nazi, like unashamedly resistant to basically say, we are the hope of the German church and um, he's the Christian resistance. He is the, yeah. he is the leader of the, he is one of the, but the prominent leader of the Christian German resistance against Nazism in the 1930s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, while he's doing this, he's writing, he, he publishes this book called the cost of discipleship, which is a study of the sermon on the Mount where mm. he talks about cheap grace and costly grace. I won't get too much into that theologically, but Thank he, he's essentially saying, you, it's not enough in this time, in his current time right now. Oh. He goes, it is not enough just to label yourself a Christian. You have to forcefully act against what you know to be evil. Yeah, get off the sidelines. Correct. Get in the game. Yeah. But everybody's meanwhile is like, well, I don't really want to get in the game because it's don't, a lot I don't easier. Die. I don't want to die. Okay. Yeah. So the Gestapo bans him in 1938 from Berlin. He can't publish anything. He can't speak. He can't preach. They shut down his seminary. He basically has to go to the U.S. to evade. But as soon as he gets there, he's like, I've made a mistake. Um, Because he realizes that, again, I've got work to do over there. Yeah. He said, uh, what was the quote here? I've come to the conclusion that I've made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. So this is what's crazy. His brother and his brother-in-law convince him to join what's called the Abwehr, A-B-W-E-H-R, Abwehr. He becomes a covert agent Ooh. within the intelligence arm of the Nazi military. Whoa, what? whoa, whoa. So he infiltrates. He's a double agent. He infiltrates yeah. the the military intelligence wing of the Nazi party. Under his same name? Yes, because he's either going to get conscripted and yeah. he can't within himself give an oath to Hitler. Yeah. So what he does is he signs up. The Nazis are like, okay, well, we can keep an eye on this guy. And what yeah, he yeah. does is he's like, hey, I got all the contacts with the pastors here yeah. in Germany so I can keep an eye on them. And they're like, cool. But really what he's doing is he's relaying messages to Ooh. allies when they're like, when the, when the German military is like, you're going to go and meet with this guy and this guy and this guy. Really what he's doing is he's sending messages. He's also helping Jews get out of Germany. Nice. This guy's awesome. Via Switzerland. Yeah. He's a badass. Yeah. But not a lot of people know about him. Okay. So well, I should say a lot of people know What's about him. What's his name again? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer. Got it. B-O-N-H-O-E-F-F-E-R. Means bean farmer. Anyway. Um, so he's in the Abwehr and he is aware of and he is praying blessings over assassination plots of Hitler. Whoa. Nice. He is gathering people. Like he's not he's not part of like putting the bombs together, but he yeah. is directly aware Enter of Enter Tom Cruise. Yeah. The Valkyrie project, <laughs> yeah. right? And he is actually asking the Lord's blessing to kill Hitler. And this was a really 
pivotal moment in his faith because it took from, I'm a pacifist, I'm going to write about this, okay, now I'm going to go underground and try to train pastors, to now he is completely committed to the killing of Hitler. He's like, this guy is pure evil. And not we can't just preach about this or against it. Yeah. We have to do something about it. And, and cocks a shotgun. Yeah. Eventually, he's imprisoned. They shut down his seminary. They arrest everyone who is involved with it. There are some sympathetic guards at the time in the prison okay. that he's in who are letting him write. They're providing him with writing supplies. Oh. They're smuggling his letters out. That's part of the reason why we still have his writings is because of some sympathetic yeah. Nazi guards who are wow. like, this guy's actually not that bad. Maybe we're the problem. Okay, so it's 1945 now. The war is winding down. Um, Bombers are flying in the Empire He has been State moved building. around because it is intensifying. It, Germany is about to get, you know, uh, uh, yeah. liberated. And he gets put in the Flossenburg concentration camp. I don't exactly know where that is. But he's stripped of his clothing. He's led naked into the execution yard. And he's hanged with six others oh. who were part of the resistance. You have generals, you have admirals, you have business people in the group that he was executed yeah. with. Because they did that at the end. When correct. they knew it was over, they just so yeah. went on the, a spree. There was the doctor of this concentration camp, the Nazi doctor, who wrote this thing about like – it was kind of like when Washington was like – when it was like, oh, yeah, he was praying over the uh, the battle and we saw him and it was kind of like – the guy said that he saw Bonhoeffer like, oh, it was so passionate. He was praying. He was he went up to the gallows brave and composed. So a lot of people think like, yeah, that's how it ended. But really, people have dug in and they're like, factually, that was super incorrect. This guy was probably writing that to let himself off the hook. Oh, sure. Of what he was doing, like he was complicit yeah. with what was going on. Yeah. Really, what people think happened is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was tortured for hours. He must before have been. he yeah, was oh, before 100%. he was hanged. Like yeah. from, I mean, he was a. Uh, basically a double agent mm -hmm. for Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that he survived all the way into the f to the fact that they yeah. to the end of the war, yeah, is that's crazy, crazy. even to yeah. think about. Yeah, under the eye, like he's literally part of. He is. I don't know if he's wearing a swastika, but he is certainly operating under the banner of it. But he's doing it for good. And so this guy literally gave his life. He's a Christian martyr. Yeah. For the Jewish people. Yeah. And he's celebrated. I mean, first of all, nobody knows where he's buried. They don't know if he was cremated outside or if wow. he was buried in a mass grave. Probably. And so yeah. he is in several liturgical calendars. April 9th, the day of his death, is celebrated in many different denominations around the world. He is really Germany's version and I, I I use this loosely, but I'm just trying to compare the, the the two struggles and stripes. He is he's the German MLK Jr. of his time, fighting sure. for yeah. Yeah. what is good, fighting against evil, struggling within himself. His faith is changing because he went from pacifist to no. Now I see that we got to yeah. kill this yeah. guy. I would highly recommend a book that completely blew my mind. It is a long book, but it's called uh, Eric Metaxas wrote it. It's Prophet Pastor something spy like it's it's all about what he was doing but mm -hmm. bonhoeffer bonhoeffer this dude was a badass i never thought until you mentioned it that this guy is definitely a badass mm -hmm. i never thought about it when you said the the nazi guards were smuggling yes. his letters out i never thought that ever i don't know why i ever never had this thought that there must have been nazis who were being subversive yeah sure to the party mm-hmm 
because I mm-hmm. think in many ways they probably loved their country. They were like, however, are we the baddies? Yeah. Yeah. Or fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, just out yep. of, I mean, I think most people, not most, some, a good amount of, of, I don't even want to continue with that. It's all good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look more into Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story. Yeah. It's incredible. It's inspiring. Yeah. This dude needs to be known. As I was reading more up on his story, I realized for some reason I'm drawn to people like I'm drawn to stories like his, like mm-hmm. the Paul Revere in, the fan in me. Yeah. yeah. The subversion, I yeah. think, is real. And not only that, but like as a Christian whose faith has evolved over the years, too, like this guy's story is so inspiring. The courage of this guy to at risk of death. Yes. Like he, he literally practiced what he preached. Yeah, yeah, he did. He didn't just say it. He didn't just, you know, wear the T-shirt, so to speak. But he was yeah. in the game fighting for people, not even of his own faith. Yeah. You know what I mean? The yeah. opposite. Yeah. Like yeah. he was exact for opposite. not just the underdog, the outcast, but the persecuted and paid for it with his life. Yeah. Do you think, you think they, they would have, they should make him a saint. Isn't that what a saint is? I think he, uh, that's a good question. I'd have to look into that, but, um, he's in several liturgical calendars as okay. like, we're going to commemorate his day. Yeah. Got it. So I don't know if that's like official sainthood. I don't, I don't, I don't know if any Protestant denominations do sainthood, but, mm. um, yeah, it was even around the time. I think Pope Pius the 12th, like from the Catholic church was starting to come in and be alongside Hitler. And he was like, this dude was calling everyone out. Yeah. That's bananas. like literally two days after Hitler becomes chancellor, this guy's on the radio warning everyone and gets cut off and then goes and then still lives for a long time yeah like that's that was what 33 and then he dies in 45 the end of the war the beginning of the war for 12 years and what's what's crazy is he was he was only married for i think four months too like he married i think the granddaughter of this guy who gave him his property to have his underground seminary at and he, I think he fell in love with his granddaughter and they only got married like four months before he was arrested and taken off. Wow. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, inspiring story. Yeah. Check it out. Right up there with Clifford Ray. Right yeah. up there. Yeah. Right anyway, up there with Dalton. Grady Styles Jr. Lobster <laughs> yeah. Boy. Yeah. This is what I love about this podcast. Um, we are so appreciative of you guys listening. And uh, if you would like to become a patron for more opportunities for these podcasts to be produced, feel free to sign up either five or 10 bucks a month. You get some uh, good rewards there. Patreon.com slash presequential. See you in a couple weeks. 